0: Alright, good morning everybody. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am Marty Leeds. I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, as you guys know. Normally we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, but not the last two weeks because we've had internet issues with... Which I apologize for. We've had internet issues for like years now, considering that we're always living in the shticks and all this other thing. So you guys know. But we will have a service for you today. It just won't be live and we may just have to pre-record moving forward. It just is what it is. It's you just have to deal with what we have to deal with. So thank you all for being here today. We are going to talk today about um we will be doing oh, where is it? I don't know. Oh, it doesn't matter. This is episode seventy one. Of the Sunday service, this is Matthew chapter twelve. We're going to do chapter twelve, and we're going to talk about the real meaning of the Sabbath, and the the, the metaphysical or mystical meaning of the Sabbath. And we're going to see how uh, how Jesus deals with the Sabbath in this chapter. So, before we get going, though, um, I just have a quick announcement, and then we'll do a prayer, and then we'll march into this thing. Um, I'm I'm working on the Tenets of the Order, and basically, it's what it is. is just a little small, you know, little book that you can download as a PDF on the website. You can buy it if you'd like, but it will be free. And basically just goes over a bunch of the things that we teach and preach on, you know, at this church and on this channel, uh, things that I discuss in the books and that sort of thing, just our perspective on things. Everything from what is Gnosticism, the the demiurge and the nature of evil. We we'll talk about that. True cosmology, reincarnation in the afterlife, hermeneutics, why the authorized King James Bible, the historicity of scripture, why the rosaries, why we're doing the rosaries, community, family, and God's government, medical autonomy, vaccines, and other health-related concerns, intoxicants, alcoholic uh, alcohol, and uh psychedelics uh diet nutrition exercise these you know basically just a bunch of things that we'll cover um some of these are just short chapters just going over uh, generally what we think about these things so um that's it um and that's so that'll be coming out and i'm hope hopefully next month i'm thinking probably towards the end of next month that'll be out so and once again that'll be free to download if you guys want so you don't have to pay for that at all so all right let's do a prayer and then let's march into this bad boy okay O God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, give us grace seriously to lay to heart the great dangers we are in by our unhappy divisions. Take away all hatred and prejudice, and whatever else may hinder us from godly union and concord, that, as there is but one body and one spirit, one hope, one faith of our calling, one Lord, one baptism, and God, one God and Father of us all. So we may may all be of one heart and of one soul, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and charity, and may with one mind and one mouth glorify thee, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, let's launch into this. Matthew chapter 12, let's do it. Number one, at the time, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were and hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. So the first thing that we were introduced in, and this is really what the core of this uh, this, this sermon, this lecture is going to be all about, is the fact that here we have Jesus marching in on the Sabbath day and doing what he's not supposed to do on the Sabbath. So in other words, Jesus, according to old Jewish law Jesus did not keep the Sabbath. Now we're going to see that Jesus absolutely kept the Sabbath once we understand what it actually means. But according to hey man, it's Saturday because that's what this this you know that's when you celebrate that's when the Jews celebrate the Sabbath. That's their resting day, right? Um he didn't he didn't honor that. Neither did his disciples. You know, so there, as we can see there he went, he's like, "Guys, you guys are hungry. Let's pick some corn and then so and then the Jews were all upset about this. Now as we know, why is Jesus doing this? Because Jesus is a rebel. Jesus is an iconoclastic rebel. He's, in this sense, he's very much uh, plays a b- b- role, at least in this capacity, of a trickster. He comes in and upturns the, the a false or, uh, you know, an order that that isn't really in alignment with logos, obviously, because he's the logos, the word, you know, of that whole thing. So, really what he's doing is being very rebellious, okay? He's basically breaking the law. He's a lawbreaker, okay? That's what Jesus is. So, and then Jesus responds the fact that is like, oh well. Um, but he said unto them, twelve, three. Have ye not read what David did when he was an hungered, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat? So one of their own, David, right? He broke the law. He broke the law. Neither uh, for them which were with him, but only for the priests. So the showbread was not for the people that were with David nor David. It was for the priests. Um, and so what we see here is that David went in and ate the showbread. This is in 1 Samuel 21. David is on the run from Saul. David asks for food, but there was nothing but the showbread. There was nothing but this, this you know, um, sacred bread, this consecrated bread that's in the temple, Right. Uh, Despite the law that reserved the showbread exclusively for the sons of Aaron, the priests, the priest gave him the consecrated bread, that sacred bread. So here's David walking in on the Sabbath and eating the very sacred bread that he's not supposed to eat on the day that he's not supposed to eat. Okay? So David himself broke the Jewish law. Okay? And now when we talk about the showbread, this is, you know, in one reference it's to... It's a reference symbolically to the bread of life, of course, but there's 12, 12 loaves placed every Sabbath in the Jewish temple and eaten by the priests at the end of the week. So you have these 12 loaves, and even there you can see that they do like, you know, six loaves on one side and six on the other. What does the 12 represent ultimately? Just like why is there 12 disciples of 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 um, of Christ? You know, this represents your zodiac. This represents the, the pattern of the stars. It's literally heavenly in this sense, literally, not figuratively. So you have just there, just in that picture alone, you have six on one side and six on the other. Well, anybody that's does you know does their basic study in astrology knows that you know that you basically have your six, six um, houses, signs, whatever you want, above and below, and this is how it's literally understood. So you know this is you know there's obviously rich symbolism going on here, right? So that bread you know represents the bread of life. In one sense, okay. Now the Jews, they keep they, you know, they're hell bent on keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, from the Hebrew Shabbat to rest, to rest, is observed throughout the year on the seventh day of the week, and of course, their seventh day of the week is Saturday, according to biblical tradition. It commemorates the original seven day and seventh day in which God rested after completing the creation. We all know this, okay? So. Um, now, so there's this thing that within a lot of Christians that they say, well, you have to keep the Sabbath. You know, it's like you have Seventh-day Adventists and you have like, you know, the Sabbath keepers and they're all like, yeah, we keep the Sabbath. That's why we do Saturday, right? And then they're followers of Christ. And then you look in the Bible and he didn't honor that. It isn't to say that he didn't keep the Sabbath. We'll talk about that. He absolutely kept the Sabbath and the actual metaphysical or what we could say spiritual and mystical understanding of what the Sabbath is. But as far as like not doing work on Saturday and not eating and doing all that stuff, didn't give two hoots about it. It's the opening lines. So all these Christians, which I find just hilarious, they're like, keep the Sabbath. It must be on Saturday. Your Savior didn't. Isn't to say he didn't keep the Sabbath. We'll talk about that. So this is from, I think, Genesis um, maybe three or something like that, but it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, old testy, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, capital letters, thy God. So what is the actual meaning of the Sabbath, okay? When we look at the Lord thy God, this is representing mystically, this is exactly why you have six days resting on a seventh in the opening lines of Genesis. And right after that, you actually are introduced into Lord, we'll get into that this this you know six resting on seven as we've covered many many times is the representation of the six directions of space and where God rests where the where the divine eternal spark of God that portion of God that's put into you that's where it rests it rests on that axis point okay forward reverse left right up and down six directions of space coming together in a confluence in right into the center this is where the Lord rests this is exactly what it says, but on this, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, thy God. This this you know this this is where the Lord rests. Now the the problem is is that people don't understand what the Lord is. The Lord, and we'll get into this right now. The Lord and the God. The Lord represents the singular point of consciousness that's within you, and the God represents God above. And this is exactly how it's displayed in scripture. So I've played this before, but I want to play it again because it's basically it's Stan Tenen, who's a um, he's a Jewish Kabbalist. And he's, he does a quick overview of this concept of Lord and God. And we're going to get into this and explain this. Um, and <laughs> as far as I know, and he'll say it here, I've never heard any, any besides a few Kabbalists here and there or whatever, I've never heard any Christian understand this basic and fundamental of their Bible. And so this um, Stan Tennant will explain this and then we'll expound on it.
1: Um, most people don't know this, and it's not discussed by the rabbis, and it's not discussed by the scholars. But we all know it when, when we read the Bible that there are usually two names. The use of these two different names was deliberate, has specific meaning, and may be at the basis of the whole system. Um, most people think that Abraham discovered the one God. That's the the throwaway line that mm-hmm. we're taught. I don't think that's true. Um, I think that. In the world, um, for millennia, people understood um, the forces of nature and worshipped them as a kind of god and a pantheon of gods in the outer world. I think people also had a personal inner experience of meditation, spiritual experience, and they knew about these things. What Abraham discovered is that the internal spiritual experience and the external world are the same thing.
2: That sounds like the fundamental insight of uh, the Hindu tradition, that... Atman, the essence within, and Brahman, the, the god of the universe, are one.
1: That's exactly right. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. <sighs> Sounds like the essence of Hinduism there, where it's like Brahman and Atman. Atman is the, is the singular spark, spark of God that's Atman, and Brahma is the... Creator God, the cosmic God, if you will. The same thing is going on and this is exactly what Stansen was saying with Lord and God. Lord represents the singular spark within you and God is the you know the totality above in this sort of sense, right? And these two are connected. And the spiritual experience that Abraham had was like it wasn't that he that he it, as Stan Sennin was saying that he discovered the one true God. what he understood was that the internal ex- spiritual experience and the external are one. Okay, this is that now this is actually played out in Gematria when we actually look at the Gematria of this we have Lord and God and that's both equaling 13 and this is basically to, through numbers saying that there is an equality a sp- in this sense of spiritual equality with what this this point in here or we to say equality, are connected to God above. Okay, so this is what the Sabbath is really all about. And so when Jesus comes along and he's keeping the Sabbath, he's keeping the knowledge, the mystical knowledge of where God resides. It's literally geometrically pinpointed to you in the laying out of six around one. This is what it's all about. Now, the Jews have rejected this entire notion to anybody but the Jews, right? They don't think that. They may think you have some God in you or whatever, but they don't think of you as equal, that see the same inter- that divine spark that's within everybody. They don't they don't see that. They're the chosen ones, and this is what Jesus is ultimately coming out and or calling out. And this is why he doesn't give two hoots about going to pick corn on the Sabbath, because he's going to keep the Sabbath. The knowledge of where God is, and he's gonna he's gonna call them out and saying you never kept it, okay so another thing here is that when we talk about the lord thy god thy means your that's what it means so but on the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord thy god your god it's your portion of god that's what it's saying now we're also going to get in, in thy means an archaic or dialectic form of your so it's the lord your individual spark of god okay now this now notice here lord is capitalized Once again. Yet another example of where Christians read the Bible and, have, and they do not question why something like Lord would be capitalized. And I'll show you this here. And there's a reason for it. Because they want you, they're specifically trying to get you to make this connection in the Bible. And I'll show you this. This is the capitalization of Lord. This is Genesis 1, or this is Genesis, yeah, 1-2. So this is chapter 2, or excuse me, this is Genesis 2, uh, 2, you know, second chapter there, excuse me. So, the first chapter is what? It lays out exactly what we're talking about. Six directions of space resting on a seventh. There's lots of symbolic things that we can get from this, but just for that point, it's six resting on seventh, which represents what? The, ge- the basic and fundamental geometric understanding of the human being as he's walking through material existence. That's what you do. You're walking in three-dimensional space. It's six around one. This Lord... This is introduced in chapter 2. So in chapter 1, we have God doing this, and it's all God. It's God did this, and God did that, and God said it was good, and God did this, and then God did that, and God rested. Then God made human beings, right? Chapter 2, what's introduced? So this is after God rested. This is made human beings. What, what, what's introduced? Lord. And there it is. And look, so this is all. this is chapter 2. Why is it capitalized? Lord, capitalized. There was no Lord in chapter one. No Lord. Lord. capitalized, Lord. capitalized, Lord. capitalized, capitalized. Cap- why? God's not capitalized. What does capitalization mean? When you just capitalize something, what is it? At the very base, it's to put emphasis on something. That's why you capitalize something. Like a lot of people will type in all caps because they're like, you know, it looks like they're screaming or yelling or something like that. What is that mean? Ultimately, emphasis. They're trying to emphasize something. Here's the capitalization of Lord. Once again, in the New Testament. So here we have the first chapter, literally in in this in some Bibles, first, second page or whatever of Genesis. You have the introduction of Lord, all capitals. Now we go from the Old Testament. Let's go to the first page of the New Testament. What do they do? The exact same thing. Lord, capitalized. Why? Then, who else is capitalized? This is Matthew 1. We've already covered this. What else is capitalized? Jesus. Why is Jesus capitalized? Jesus is again capitalized. It's not like that throughout the rest of the Bible, but... Jesus is being introduced in, the new, in Matthew right here. This is his birth, and he's being introduced into the story, and it's all capital letters. And then what is also right before that? Lord, capitalized. What are they saying? Lord, Jesus is, the rest of the Bible says this too. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We all know that. Okay, so then when we say, this is the Lord, your God, your God, your portion of God right within here. What's in here? Christ. Now, what's what's Paul's message? That Christ is within you. It's the gift of the Gentiles. Now, the Bible in the Old Testament and the New is going to reiterate that idea, and all they're going to do to make to, you know, to get you to understand this is use capital letters. The Lord that is Jesus Lord is Jesus Lord. Lord 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 Lord, Lord all capitals. All capitals. Jesus. Why? Because they're saying that the Lord, your God, what's within you? That's not that's not controversial at all to say Christ resides within you. It is the hope of glory. We're just quoting literally St. Paul. So this is a fundamental, this is a fundamental of the Bible. And I don't really know any Christian that understands it. That Lord, that portion, that's Christ within you. And this is why we covered this before when we did the whole book of Mark. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Lord was made for you and you were not made to worship on some random Saturday. Why do you think the Sabbath was changed too by like the like Catholic Church, I think way back in the day, what we celebrated on Sunday, right? Why? Well, because Jesus didn't recognize the Old Testament and the Sabbath that they were keeping. So what, what happened? Well, they kept the Sabbath. They kept a day of rest and what else did what is Jesus keeping? That mystical, metaphysical knowledge of where God resides. It's six around one. The Sabbath was made for you. You were not made for a Saturday. Okay? So, let's keep going. <sighs> then he says, so David ate the showbread and everything like that. And then he says, or have you not read in the law, this twelve five? how that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath. There are priests that are in the temple on the Saturday, on the Sabbath, and they are, they are profaning, right, in this sense, being profane about the temple. And no one's blaming them. No one's being like, dude, you guys are totally breaking the law. Jesus is. Why? Because he is the iconoclast. He's the rebel. He's calling them out. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. In this place right here which is the Lord, which is the eternal spark that's incorruptible, that sort of stuff. This is greater than the temple. Why? Because the temple's corruptible. It's fleeting, it's passing, it's going to be gone. This, greater than that. So once again, there's a double meaning that's going on here because that's why why the Bible's genius. But if you had known this meaneth, if you had known what this meaneth, this is what Jesus is saying to them. If you would have understood the actual meaning of the Sabbath, if you, if you would, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't be condemning people that are not guilty of things. Which is what they're doing with Jesus. They're condemning him. They're like, no, 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 no. Jesus is like, if you actually knew what it meant, you would not be condemning me. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Let's read it again, 12.8. For the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath day. What is the Son of Man? Now, once again, phonetically, when we realize that S-O-N and S-U-N are purposely put in the Bible, in our own English language, to make the connection to the fact that what? The Son and the S-O-N and the S-U-N are phonetically identical. It's the sun in the sky, okay? Even if we're just to say, no, the sun just means Jesus. And what is he? The light? Archaic definition of light. What is it? What is the, it's divine truth. That's Christ. So the sun, S-O-N, S-U-N, doesn't matter. We're talking about light. In theology, divine light is an aspect of divine presence, which is exactly what Christ is, perceived as light during a theophany or a vision. A theophany is basically just a visible manifestation of, of God, a symbolic visible, visible manifestation of God, okay? So this is the divine light, the son of man. This is exactly what we're saying. This is exactly what we're saying when we're saying the Lord, thy God, your God, the Lord, which is Christ, which is what? The light. He's the son of man. The light within you is of you. That's what it's saying. This is the son of man. Is Lord even on on the Sabbath day? So basically he's saying even on your stupid day of Saturday, this is actually what you know this is actually what we're talking about here even on the Sabbath day, even on your day of rest this in here is Lord okay and and this is what they're saying so now let's go and let's look at other places of the Bible this is John 3:14 John 3:14 it says as Moses as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of man be lifted up what are we always talking about? the entire zodiac man is about what it's about you know this is an eastern thought this would be kundalini this is right you throw kundalini at a bunch of literalist fundamentalist christians and they lose their fucking minds well apparently you don't understand basics of your bible because there's moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness and as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the light of man be lifted up in his vessel and where is it going to aries the ram the lamb must be lifted up what's being lifted up that light which is christ within you That's what's going on. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue again, on the day he's not supposed to, went in again. He just pissed him off, right? And now he's going to do it again. Let's look at synagogue, okay. Now, synagogue, if you look at just the straight etymology of it, right, there's many different ways in which you can deconstruct a word, look at the syllables, look at the phonetics. look at the, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the etymology, the definition, there's a lot, you know, this is linguistics, you know, and it's all the different ways in which you can look at a word. Um, synagogue, just straight etymology, basically just means coming together. That's essentially all it is. It means uh, sending together, bring together, assemble. It's a place of assembly for the synagogue, you know, for um, Jews, that sort of thing. So, um, but then you can look at the phonetics of synagogue, And you see that sin is, we all know what a sin is. It's an an aggression against God and that sort of thing. We've got God's will and you either follow it, you're in alignment with it, and we'll get to that in this chapter, or you're not, okay? When you're not in alignment with it and you choose to go against it, then you sin, okay? So what is a sin? It's an aggression against God. What's a Gog, okay? A Gog is of Hebrew origin and Gog is a symbolic name for some future antichrist. Gog is also the mountain, the, the king of the land of Magog, who come from the north and attack the land of Israel. So, just phonetically, we have now. Uh, just phonetically, we have sin an, aggra- an aggression against God and Gog, which is a symbolic name for some future Antichrist. So apparently, there's a place where a bunch of Jews get together and they they uh, they worship a future Antichrist by sinning. Now, wh- wh- no, that phonetic deconstruction of that word, whether we take that as any having any applicability or not, that's exactly what's going on. That's exactly what a synagogue is. Once again, don't listen to Marty Leeds. What did Jesus Christ say? What did Jesus Christ repeat? That's the synagogue of Satan. It's your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. So Jesus is saying this. He's like, yes, that's where their future antichrist is coming. And yes, they are sinning. So, fanatic connection, just a coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So... And he went and departed thence, and he went into their synagogues, and behold, there was a man which had in his, ha- which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? They're asking him a question to try to trick him. This is what they're doing. This is what lawyers do all the time. This is what legalese essentially is. Anybody that's paying taxes, that sort of thing, the, the, you you got tricked by a bunch of Jews in order to sign an affidavit to say, yes, I am a part of this corporation that is the IRS. They're doing the exact same thing with Jesus. They're trying to spellbind him. They're trying to basically say, ooh, I'm going to tr- trick you in your words so then we can go tell the people that he broke the law. Of course, Jesus is, you know, smarter than that. But of course, we all know what happened anyway, right? So they might accuse him. So they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to... Manipulate his words. <clears throat> 12, 11. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? So he's basically saying, and what well, will well, say that, well, Let's go here first. Okay, let's cover this. What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay a hold and lift it out? If sheep falls in the pit and it's all Saturday and you're all supposed to be just letting your Shabbos goy do everything like that and just sitting there, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden of your sheep falls in the pit, you're going to go rescue that sheep, are you not? Which basically Jesus is basically saying that, hey, look, you're all being hypocrites. You're calling me out for me feeding my disciples corn on your holy day. And you're not respecting it. You're being, you're full of blame. You're being total what? Hypocrites. Well, as as Jesus mentioned that before. But but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I love this one, Matthew 23, 13. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. It's a great line. When we get to 23, Jesus has got some serious words for these people. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, as the hypocrites do in the what? The synagogue, as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Right? You guys getting a little bored with this? Are you guys getting? Is it at some point Jesus calling out the Jews, chapter after chapter, verse after verse? It gets a little redundant. It's like, okay, we get it, bro. It's amazing to me. Absolutely, just dumbfounding. That there are Christian churches that can't basically just read their Bible and realize, do you know that he speaks? These are eternal stories. These are timeless stories. He's speaking about the same Jews that are trying to the international Jewry that's trying to run the world today. Same folk. What church is calling it out? It, it's it's every chapter, again and again and again and again. And you'll see it in this chapter. At some point, the churches are you not reading your book? He's literally calling people that are running the world synagogue that they worship at the synagogue of Satan. Is this being repeated at your Catholic church, at your Orthodox church, at your Baptist church? No, and this is exactly what the Bible is saying. (laughs) Hypocrites, you'll, you'll grab the sheep. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Jesus asks, this is a really interesting question. That needs to be expanded on. Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. It's You do well on the Sabbath days. That's what you do. How much then is a man better than a sheep? He's asking a bunch of Jews. Well, according to the Jews, we are cattle. They've got that whole sacred and profane chosen chattel thing going on. How much? How much better are men than a sheep? Well, he's asking this question because the people he's speaking to Think that you're you're not a human being that you're just a cat you're just chattel. Then we look at what do what do Jews how do Jews treat animals? Now I didn't I'm not including this in this live stream but um or this sermon here but look up kosher killing, look up kosher killing, and then you tell me if that's okay. How do they treat animals? This is called the capital. I'm sure I'm saying that incorrectly, but it's basically this customary atonement ritual practiced by Orthodox Jews on the eve of Yom Kippur. Basically, what they do is essentially, as far as I understand, they basically take the sins that they had of the year or month or whatever it is, and then they transfer it to this animal, and then they swing this animal around over their head three different times and it's absolutely brutal, completely, you know, just blah, and then kill the animal. So, this is how they treat animals. They think you're an animal. How do you think they treat you? What do you think? Why do you think Jesus is asking? He's like, hey... How much how much then is a man better than a sheep? well they don't they don't think of them as human beings. So then what does he do? Jesus, what does he do? twelve thirteen he sees the man with a withered hand and he reaches out on the Sabbath day and says, "I'll heal you I'll heal you I'm not going to listen to the old Jewish law at all. You need help. Boom, I'll be there for you. 12, 13, then he saith to the man, he saith he to the man, stretch forth. This is the beautiful subtleties that are put into the Bible, you know, poetic and totally just genius, just freaking genius, to help you <laughs> to relate to something that's right in front of you. We'll just say this. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Stretches one hand forth. Stretched it forth, there's, oh, now he's got two hands, they're restored whole, the other, oh, he's perfectly symmetrical, he's whole, right? He's been healed in this sort of sense. Okay, well, this is once again the subtleties of language, right? This is this is the kind of stuff that if you read William Shakespeare, if you read William Blake, if you read, um, you know, in, in my opinion, any of the greats, um you know we uh, freaking uh, james joyce of course you guys know i'm a huge james joyce fan this is the kind of stuff that they do all the time okay now modern biblical scholars they don't read it in this context and so me pointing something like this out is just like oh, fourth you know what is fourth <laughs> okay well in the tetractus this is a reference to the axiom of maria as well i'm not going to even get into that that's a whole nother live stream this is the Tetractus. This is a cornerstone and fundamental of mysticism. When you get into any of what would be considered the esoteric orders, you will see this. This is one of the first things that got me. The Pythagoreans had a prayer to this thing. It's like, oh, holy Tetractus, thou which contains the root and source of the ever-flowing creation, and blah, 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 blah. You first, you know, I, you know, it's this sort of thing. And they had a prayer to a mathematical archetype. It's called the Tetractus. It's one, two, three three, four, put into a triangular form. It's basically just the triangulation of the number four. So, it's the fourth triangular number. And what does it add to? Ten. Okay. One plus two plus three plus four plus five, or excuse me, one plus two plus three plus four equals ten. So, you stretch forth. And you know when you stretch forth, you go one, two, three, four. And what do you have? You have ten. And then his hand that was withered was whole like the other. Okay. This is the subtleties. Now, we talk a lot about the hands. We talk a lot about the mathematics of the hands and how the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that sort of stuff, right? This is Kabbalah. You know, God himself has placed his emanations right in front of you. Okay, this is this is what Kabbalah is all about. I, I just want a little sidetrack here, but it's important to make the point. We've talked so many, so much over the last twelve years about the hands. We've deconstructed them. We've shown how that works. We've showed how the, you know, the Mayan calendar. We didn't get into all that stuff. This is Jennifer. Um, Jennifer's mom and her husband went to Italy recently, and I don't know where this is, but it's on the facade of some, you know, this unbelievable, striking architecture, right? And this was actually, I don't have the full picture, but it's a triptych, so you've got that middle, you know, tri meaning three. You've got the middle door, and then you've got the doors that flank left and right, okay? And this is basically, this is a Trinitarian thing. It's like, you know, past, present, and your past, future, and the present, right? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that kind of thing, right? So in this middle door, on the top of this middle door, is this. And this is what's displayed. And I'll let you look at it right there. I'm just going to point out a few things here. Of course, you've got about seven angels. got one, two, three, four, five, six. They're symmetrical. And then you got one on the top, and it's surrounding this being that's emerging from the Vesca Pisces. On the lower left-hand corner, you see a guy there in the corner. We'll show you that. And then on the other lower right-hand corner, you've got a bear. You can barely see it there. I'll show you though. A bear and a tree and essentially a bear climbing a mountain. Okay and this will all make sense in just a second so one of the things that um you know just using basic math one of the things that's being elucidated here in this structure in this you know this fantastic piece of architecture this freaking amazing uh, stonework is just incredible one two three four five six seven that's what it is and it's one two three four five six and they're symmetrical and then on top is what it's this other angel, sort of special angel, these you know, like this sort of thing. What is that? It's a it's a subtle reference to six around one. It's a subtle reference to six around one, being seven, okay? Now, we just said that go forth, stretch forth thy hand, one, two, three, four, this equals ten, this is the reference to the hands. The number seven itself, which is one considered one of the most holy numbers of all time, just all over the Bible, it the number seven, just by triangulating it, just as we just did, reveals what's right in front of you. It's the 28 phalanges of your hands. So stretch forth thine hand. 1, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and 14 times 2 is 28. Adding 1 through 7 is what? 28. So, one of the subtle references here is what? It's the seventh triangular number. It's the 28. It's the hands that are right in front of you. Now, that vescope, and I'll get back to that, and that Vesco Pisces you see right there, this is where Jesus is. You see Mary in this as well. This is the symbol. This is the, you know, Vesco Pisces is the fundamental symbol. It's basically two circles that create this third section, right? This is what you see, this third section there. And um, this is where you get the, the, the symbol of the Jesus fish. It's literally where you get the symbol of the Jesus fish and then you see it in all of this sort of art. and what is this? It's ultimately just basically just a it's a symbol for being reborn is really what it is because that vesica piscis represents the womb of creation in this sense. So you know Jesus you know dying and being reborn, that sort of thing is that's what it's representing. okay Essentially enlightenment is essentially what that's representing. that's what that symbol represents. So you have the one through seven being adding to 28, there's your phalanges of your hands. This is what's in the lower left hand corner. What is that guy doing? It's very clear what he was doing what he's doing and as far as I can tell. He's got his hands and he's holding them up and he's staring at them and he's like, Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. By the way, Jesus, that's yes, that's the math of your hands as well. We've covered that. He's looking at his hands and being like, Oh, he's having the revelatory moment. He's having the moment where it's like, oh yes, the Kabbalah, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh my god. God put A a, a science of mathematics right in front of me. Do you know what else is on your hands? The Holy Trinity. Basic math. Basic math. Okay? So when Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to heal you. What do we know is that's a spiritual metaphor for what? When he heals, we'll get into that in just a second. It's being reborn. It's enlightenment in this sort of sense. Okay? Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. He's having the revelation. That's what he's showing. What's right there? One through seven, which gives you what? 28. Now, what's in the lower right-hand corner? It's a tree on top of a mountain, and there's a bear. Now, I ask you, all Christians, what is? It, what do you think that means? What does it mean? We'll tell you exactly what it means. That bear is Ursa Major. That bear is Ursa Major. And do you know where that Ursa Major is? It's on the mountain. This is what's considered the mountain. This, this is uh, astrologically, this is your Mount of Olives, the Judean Desert to the east, and all this. Okay, yeah, that's something we've covered before. But they, you basically have two bears on the mountain. Of course, Ursa Major, Big Dipper, is one of the most prominent constellations that you know, most notable, noticeable kind of constellations in the sky, right? And what is it? It's on a Metaphysical mountain, this is, even across the world, what do you have in the center? A mountain or a tree? And a lot of times you'll have a tree on top of the mountain, like the Norse stuff is like Sills on top of a mountain. So what is that center? That's your tree of life. And we've talked about that many, many times. So what is all this? So let's go back to this. So I'm, I'm pointing this out because all of this is actually pointing to your hands. Guy in the left hand, hands. The math around that, hands. Then you go, And the lower right-hand corner, what does it represent? The center of the creation, which is what? That's the pole star, and that's where you go up and out of this place. According, literally according to Hebrew, Hebraic cosmology. They'll just draw it out, and they'll show there's a dome, there's a flat plane, and then boom, in the center is God. And what does that represent? The pole star. What is that on the lower right-hand corner representing? The pole star. What is that representing? Rebirth. What is that guy representing? Kabbalah. Oh, my God. What are the angels representing? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So, (laughs) so stretch forth thine hand and he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. So think about this. The Pharisees, they recognize that they were being hypocrites. He's calling them out as being hypocrites. It was like, well, David ate the showbread. And then, wait, what? And then we're blameless, even though we're profaning the Sabbath, right? Then he actually see, these Pharisees actually see Jesus perform the miracle. So they know that he is, you know, of the divine source kind of thing, right? So what do they do? They hold a council and how they might destroy him. In other words, they conspired against Christ. That's what they were doing. When they were holding their counsel, what were they doing? They were makes they were making secret plans jointly to commit an unlawful or harmful act. Facts. Um, they seemed to be working together to bring about a particular result, typically to someone's detriment, the detriment being Christ and the detriment being hang hung on a cross, of course. So when they when they were seeking counsel, what were they doing? Well, they were they were conspiracy theoristing, except they weren't theorizing. They were were making a, a plan. They were conspiring, not theoretically, to destroy the Lord and Savior. Which means, when we talk about that that point is within here, think about how much they hate themselves. Think about it. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him and healed them all. So as soon as he found out that they were going to try to come get him, they held counsel. He's like, all right, I'm out of here, right? He withdrew himself and multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Every single one of them healed them and charged Matthew twelve sixteen, and charged them that they should not make him known. Wait a second. So, why number (laughs) this gets into a lot of things right now we've talked about before about how christians will come in and be like it's it's totally against the bible to keep secrets um you are not reading your bible because christ is actually doing the exact opposite he's keeping secrets all day number one he he got 12 of his disciples together right and he literally told them things that they were going to understand and others were not going to understand We'll talk, we'll mention that when we read Matthew. Then we read all throughout the Bible. It's like, and he charged them that they should tell no man. Keep a secret, Christ is saying. And he sent them away to his house saying, neither go to the town nor tell it to anyone in the town. Don't tell anybody. Keep a secret. It's forbidden to keep secrets. And... No, it's not. Christ is telling you specifically to keep secrets. Then he's even creating his own little secret society in which he's telling them things and not telling other people's, And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. He charged them that they should tell no man what the things that they had seen why does Jesus keeping secrets? Why are secrets kept in general well, you, we learn this when we actually study masonry it's the PPE phenomenon you guys know the PPE phenomenon that's what I'm calling it it's like it's, it's to um, preserve, protect and entice that's why keep that's why secrets are kept right They're, He's being protected right now He's like I gotta get away don't tell anybody you know so we can, I can keep on my work so he's preserving protecting and what is he doing? That's why secrets are kept enticing. Because you keep it to preserve it so that it can be for future generations. You protect it so it can be for future generations. And so that we we know when we get scribes and Pharisees and cowans, as we like to call them, cowans coming in, ruffians coming in, and trying to take that knowledge and pervert it and distort it and that sort of thing. Then why is secrets kept? To entice, to entice the initiate who actually wants to understand. Because when you keep a secret, you say, what's going on in there? What are you doing? And, and somebody who's genuine with their spiritual pursuit will do everything in their power to understand what that secret is. Okay. And charge them that they should not make him known. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> then it goes into this. This is a little esoteric. And so I'm going to so, go over this pretty quick. And uh, I'm just going to mention a few things because it's going to be prevalent much later on down the line. Okay. I'm going to go over this fairly quick because it's sort of old Testament stuff and we've got other things to cover. So, so I apologize if I'm quick about this, but then it says this, it basically says, Hey, this is what it said in the old Testament. Jesus is fulfilling it. The prophecy is being fulfilled. That's essentially what these next few lines are. Okay. It says 1217 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, this is a reference to the old Testament. Behold, my servant, who I am chosen, pretty basic stuff, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. When he says, show judgment to the Gentiles, it's not saying he's not, show- he's obviously showing judgment to the Jews here as well, but showing judgment to the Gentiles is informing them about what? About the fact that you are on a spiritual journey, you're on a hero's journey, and that your soul will be judged at the end of this, which which what? Reflects what your conduct should be here, reflects how honest and genuine you are, how heartfelt you are, how much you Put your hand out for another human being how much you try to understand their perspective all of these sorts of things so um you know that that sort of thing it's like look you got to live a good life because you're going to be judged at the end of this he's showing that to the gentiles he shall not and this is basically just talking about how compassionate and and that sort of thing christ is he shall not strive nor cry neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets you're not going to hear in this sense you're not going to hear his voice out and it's like oh was that you jesus Oh, I heard him from the Northwest. He was there. No. When you hear the word, where do you hear it? You hear it in here. You hear it in here. You don't hear it in the streets. You hear it within. This is exactly where your Lord is. Basically, this is another way of saying compassion. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. He sends forth the judgment to what? Obviously, the victory would be what? Eternal life, okay? This is essentially a poetic way of saying this. Now, I just want to focus on real quick, okay? I'm going to try to be quick about this because it's we've got a lot to cover. So, but a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. And basically, his whole, in, in, in short, basically he's saying his whole goal is coming here and teaching people about judgment and victory as well. Victory of the, the soul, eternal life, complete communion with God, okay? In the afterlife, the paradisical gardens. A bruised reed is a stalk of grain that is broken, crushed at such an angle will never produce grain. Okay, so basically, you know, it's it's not going to produce anything. Okay, he's not going to he's not going to break that. He's not going to quench a candle because this is what is a smoking flax is an idiom for an untrimmed lamp casting a dim light and irritating the eyes and nose with smoke the best thing to do with such a lamp is to put it out and quench it and then, you know, restart the wick and sort of stuff. So basically, Jesus is like, in other words, they're saying he's going to take care of all of his business first. And that business is all about explaining to you how you will be judged at the end of this and how that there's a victory to it, okay? So he's like, I'm not even going to go this to the candle. And I'm not going to go, oh, that breed is that's, it's not going to help anything. I'm just going to bust that. He's not going to do anything like that, okay? Now... The, I, I just want to once again. I'm just. This is for later on, okay? But there's a ton of symbolism behind the reed, and I just want to mention this real quick. The symbolism of the reed, the sea of reeds, is actually recognized in many different, uh, or several different traditions. Prominent ones, especially being Egyptian and Hebrew, as you, or, you know, Jewish, as you'll see. Um, the ancient Egypt, in ancient Egypt, the heaven was depicted as a sea of reeds, okay? So. Um, and actually, the word in Egypt, the hieroglyph of a Huron on a pyramid corresponds to the word ba, meaning to flood, to inundate. And this is, of course, where reeds grow. Okay, and so the the symbolism of the reed. This is um, once again there's the Egyptians, and it's like the sea of reeds is a reference to heaven. Then you actually see the same sort of notion in Hebrew, in um, you know the Hebrew, um, Jewish. Uh, take on this, right? They states that the reed was used by the Jews as a symbol of justice. Reed as the beam of scales. It's also associated with power, or authority, and legitimacy, and that sort of stuff. So um, so the, the reed, okay, so this is, so now that we understand, oh, the reed is a symbol of, um, you know, authority and justice. It's a symbolism. It's symbolism of heaven itself. It's a sea of reeds. Then, just so we understand this, we'll revisit this, but I'm just, you know, because... These chapters relate to other chapters, obviously, in the Bible. So but so this is uh, the chapter 27 in Matthew, which we'll get to. And it says this is when Jesus is being you know, put on the cross and persecuted and all that other stuff. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they did this because they're mocking him. Because they're like, oh, this is a symbol of power and authority. And it's a representat- representation of the sea of reeds of heaven itself. And what are they doing? They're using it to mock him. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him. Saying, "Hey, the king of the Jews," and they spit upon him, and they took the reed, the symbol of heaven and authority and power, and smacked him on the head, smote him on the head. This is what they will do with the reed. Jesus is not even going to touch a bruised one until his work is done. It's given you this parallel, It's given you this dichotomy of like, oh, this is what Je- when it comes to symbolism of heaven, this is what Jesus is doing, and this is what these Jews are doing. So. I just want to mention that. That's that's too much to go into. We will revisit that, though, when we do Revelation and, and, and that sort of thing. Because um, there's actually, actually, let me just show you this real quick. Just to entice you, um, in Revelation, it says that there is a reed like unto a rod. So this is eleven one. Was a and there was given me a reed, which is a symbol of heaven, like unto a rod. And the rod is, of course, whenever you talk about a rod, a staff, a wand, a scepter, or that sort of thing, that's all a representation of your uprightness, so, right, your your, you know, this in this sort of sense, your spinal column, and, and you know, basically this idea that we're talking about, this light within you that's moving up to, through your through your system, right? Um, says rise. Aries, arise, that sort of thing, and measure the temple, rise and measure the temple of God. Of course, what we know, what is the temple of God? That's you. That's where the holy God actually exists. It's not some brick and mortar place down at the, you know, the corner of 5th and Vermouth, as I like to say. Thank you, Tom Waits. So then they say, measure this temple. And what does it tell you to measure? Uh, 40 in two months. 42. Interesting. Interesting. 40 in two months. A reference to 42. 30 days in each month. Traditionally, right, 42 times 30 is 1260, and that's the, the exact next line there. And I'll give you power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,203 score days. Okay, this is all a reference to this read. A little sidetrack, I know, but I just want to show you this. That's 1260 is a number used to double the cube. So if you want to double the volume of a cube, you take a perfect cube, you take this side, and you multiply it by 1.26. And what do you have? You have double the volume of a cube. Why is this interesting? Because as they're saying, take this reed and measure the temple. And what is the temple? Well, the temple in which God exists is, is, is the city, is the city of God. It's a cube. And the city lieth four square and the length as large as the breadth. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. That's a cube. Then even tells you to measure with cubits. What is the cube? What is the geometric representation of the cube? Who created the cube first and foremost? That's God Almighty. What is the geometric representation of that cube? Forward, reverse, left, right, up, and down. And what is that? That's the Lord, thy God. So you can see how all of this symbolism, just by a single word and one symbol, can connect to all of these different things. This is how the Bible is written. This is how any great author, any great literary author writes things. This this hyperlinked kind of thing. Okay? So... Absolutely friggin' genius is what it is. It's friggin' genius. So, okay, let's keep going. I don't even know where I am anymore. Okay, oh sorry, I'm gonna go back here. Okay, so bruised re-chilly, really not break, and smoking flaxily really not quenchly really sent forth his judgment in, in uh, judgment to victory. 1221, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Now, the only problem with that is we have a ton of modern-day Christians that will not even recognize his name. Know his name is Jesus. His name is in our language, in our sacred language that we use to communicate with this world to you know one another and, and explain ourselves and you know to philosophy and tell our wives and our family that we love them and all that other stuff. This language that we're using is sacred, and his name is Jesus, and that's why it was given as Jesus in our in our language. Why? Well, I wrote a 550 550 some page book about how that name is unbelievably just next-level genius kabbalistically encoded. So we have all these people that are like, well, there was no J and whatever, and so then his name is not Jesus. Scores of people have chosen a host of sundry spellings for the Lord and Savior, including such variations as yahoo, uh, yahowa, yahoshua, yeshu, whatever, Yashua, yahweh, and Yahowashi. That's my favorite one, Yahowashi. <laughs> how many times and in how many ways are we told specifically in the Bible, to pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ or baptize in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ or gather in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in his name. And yet there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of modern day Christians that are like, who who read modern day Bibles and reject his name in English and cannot even agree with one another on its spellings and pronunciation. There's absolutely no logic and thus no logos In this position whatsoever. Here he's saying, the the Bible's saying, in his name the Gentiles shall trust. Then you can't even agree on his name. No, his name is Lord Jesus Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Yahuasheh, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these verses that tell you, wash, sanctify, we pray, we baptize in his name. And then somebody comes along and says, well, there was no J, so no. Okay, Um, we're gonna pass the basket around. I really appreciate everybody that stops by and watches these live streams and or videos, whatever it is we're doing anymore. We really appreciate you and we can't keep going without you. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, Venmo, Buy Me A Coffee, Cash App, those are all the ways that you can support the fine work that we do. Or if you want to go to Subscribestar, you can become a goodbye at Subscribestar. Or um, if you'd like to send any, just any mail or donations or anything like that, Kevin McNally, N2550, Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. We do have a few pieces of mail that we are gonna open Tuesdays with Marty. And um, that'll be good. We're gonna do some whiteboard stuff, I think. So it should be, should, be, should be a fun time. You to all the people that do support the fine work that we do here. We really can't. We can't do this without you, and we really love you very much. So thank you for, thank you for allowing us to do this, to continue to do this. So let's march on. Matthew twelve twenty two. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. What is this? Just as so we say, oh, this guy had a withered hand and he healed him. What is all of this? This is all spiritual metaphor. This is all metaphors for spiritual rebirth. This is exactly what these things are. He had one hand; it was withered, and then he became whole. He became this symmetrical, perfect being. Oh, this guy was he, he was blind. Oh, now he's got sight. Oh, he was lame. Now he's walking. he it was full of—he le- was, you know, had leper leprosy, and that sort of thing. Oh, he was cleansed. He was—he de- was deaf. Now he can hear. He was dead. He was raised up. He was poor, now he can hear the gospel. These are all metaphors for spiritual rebirth. That's exactly what all of these things are. Okay. So and the people were amazed and said, Is not is not this the son of David? Right? They're basically, like, this has gotta be, this is this has gotta be the dude, man. This has gotta be the man. I mean, he is he is here, he's performing these miracles, we're seeing it. But then the Pharisees heard it again. Just, you know, once again, it's like, how many times are they going to mention it just in this chapter? It's like, oh, Jesus calling out the Jews again, right? Here's the Bible calling out the Jews. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. So he's not doing his work that from the source, the divine source of all things, he's harnessing devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. Why does Jesus know their thoughts? Well, because what is Jesus, what is what is in this sense, when we recognize Jesus is Lord, and we recognize what the Lord is and where that Lord is, this is the entire meaning, the mystical meaning of the Sabbath. It's right here. This spark, this spark within you that's connected, Lord, God, sees everything, knows exactly your thoughts, knows exactly what you're, you know, Every retarded and perverse thing that you ever thought, or dumb shit you ever did, it is recording and knows all of it. And we'll revisit this again when in this chapter. Okay, it's the eye of it's the eye of Israel that neither slumbers nor sleeps. It's the eye that's always open and that sees everything, can record everything, knows exactly what's going on. You're not gonna you you know you're not gonna hide from that thing, okay? You're not gonna hide from that divine source. And so when So Jesus is like, okay, you guys can do your counsels and conspire and then claim that I'm casting stuff out of the devil. But I know, I know what's actually going on in you. You liar, you hypocrites. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. This is why this, this, you know, 1225 here is one of you know, it's so unbelievably important, and it's probably why our country here in America and around the other countries around the world, um, at some point might fall because we're not united under any sort of thing, you know, like the, even the constitution we're arguing over anymore basics, basic stuff, okay. So and it says if a house divided if a house be divided against itself that house cannot stand. We have read that from Mark three twenty five and it's that's you know this is why the um, you know whatever you want to call it the satanic mafia the tyrants the despots the the elite that should not be whatever you want to call these people this is why they're constantly dividing in every country in every single way people on every sort of level right whether it's gender or it's politics or whatever politics is a big one of course. You have this country completely divided by what? The Democrats and Republicans. This is why we say at this church, we don't deal with politics. We don't deal with politics at all. If you have signed up for either one of those, you're not for God. Period. There's not, you know, don't I don't want to hear any I don't want to hear one word out of your mouth about Christ. Nothing. Because he's saying that right there naturally divides people. And if that if that's what happens. It's not going to stand. This country's not going to stand. Your house will not stand. You know, it's just like if two married people were like one was a Democrat and one was a Republican or something like that. It's like how does that, how does that house stand? No, it's just you know, don't let the men vote <laughs> anyway. So this has been going on a long, long time, guys mcdaniel and truman uh sunday august 19 august 4th 1940 two wings it's literally called two wings of the same bird it's a vulture that's over the white house truman mcdaniel the democrat and republican one big one big bird and it's shitting on everybody so this is what jesus is saying House divided against itself cannot stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, if you're using evil to cast out evil, two wrongs don't make a right, as we know. He is divided against himself. How shall then in his kingdom stand? I mean, this is all basic, basic stuff. I don't think I need to go into this too much. You guys get the gist of what's going on here, the message. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges but if i cast out devils by the spirit of god then the kingdom is come unto you if you try to throw all that wickedness out by with wickedness your temple's just going to be a mess man the only way to actually ca- and this is basically saying exactly what he's about to say the only way to cleanse and purify that vessel is to get in total alignment with god when that spirit of god comes then boom it's come onto you then then we can cast out devils We've talked about this next one before too. Um, um, you know, well, in this sense, basically, what Christ is saying, I'll, I'll just say this: is you can't be a fence sitter in this world. You can't sit on the fence. You know, you, you're either that. This doesn't exist. You're either for morality, ethics, love, compassion, following the you know the natural order that God has put forward. You know, um, all of those sorts of things that we you know we talk about. We actually cover a bunch of the tenets of the order, or you're not. There's no fence sitting when it comes to God. That's what he's saying. So, um, and then this is from, we actually, I read this from Mark, this whole passage. So uh, I'm just going to go over this real quick too, but it's basically 1229 where he says, Or how else can one enter into a strong man's house? And spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So there's a strong. Who's the strong man? Number one. Number one he's the protector. He's the father of the house. He's a strong man as one is a man who has Christ, obviously. So if you can go into that house, right, and and bind this guy and keep him from actually protecting his house, then what happens? Then that house becomes divided, and it will you know it will fall in this sort of sense. It will spoil the house. This is poetry, okay. Then he says this, he that is not with me is against me. Now, if, I think George Bush used this line or a variation, derivation of this line during the Iraq war. He's like, if you're not for, or if you're not with us, you're you know, against us or whatever, that sort of thing, which is, as far as I can tell, total mockery of Christ, okay? I should have found that clip before I got on here, but anyway. Um, you're either in total alignment with God, what God wants of you in this world or you're not. You're either for right all of these things what what is he what is this all talking about too the fact that the lord resides right in here And that's recognizing that that eternal divine spark has been given with that within every single human being he, he is he is he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad if you're not gathering with Christ and you're going with him guess what's going to happen you're going to go poof, like that <sighs> Wherefore I say unto you, all men. Okay, now this is a really important one because this is one that gets people, right? And I want to explain this. And the only way that you're really going to understand this, as far as I can tell, is if you actually truly understand what the Trinity is all about. Wherefore, 1231, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. God is forgiving. Okay? God's going to. He's going to. Uh, you know, everything you do... Let me get out of this. Hold on, before I start ranting. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So God's saying, look, I'm going to forgive a whole bunch of stuff, but if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, that shall not be forgiven. Why? Let's read on. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man... It shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speak against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Now we talk about the world to come. What is the world to come? That's the that's the you're going into the next world to be judged from what you did here, right? Judgment unto victory. So you're gonna be judged. You're gonna be judged here and there. If you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, you speak against the Holy Ghost. If you speak against the Son of Man, though, it will be forgiven. Okay. What's going on here? First off, what is the Son of Man? Let's go back. What is the Son of Man? It's the Lord thy God. It's the it's the the very presence of God that enlivens and enlightens you. It animates you. It's what makes you a human being. Okay? When we go into this and we say, and you start cursing, so this is the thing within you, this Lord within you, right? And they even say the Son of Man, the light within man okay, you curse that, you will be forgiven. Why? Because we curse ourselves all the time. When Jennifer watches this, Jennifer, remember the time when I screwed up the solar when we lived in Hawaii? And I had like probably about two or three hours where I was just being like, Marty, you're a fucking idiot. God, and like literally cursing myself, being like, God, you're a dumbass, you know? You know, I, you know. Anyway, so basically what is like, we get down on ourselves all the time. There's, this is a, a thing of depression, of, you know, all sorts of things that may, we get down on ourselves. We're like, God, I'm such a fucking idiot. I did such stupid shit. I'm just, you know, I was just fucking worthless. I'm just, you know. What are you doing? What are you doing right there? You're cursing this. You're cursing that light, that Lord, that son of man that exists within you. Now, God's going to say, I understand your predicament. I understand you will be forgiven for that. He's not saying it's cool. He's not saying it's totally cool that you go to and curse yourself. No, but he's saying you will be forgiven for that. But if you curse, make sure I'm getting in the right place here. If you curse the Holy Ghost, that's not going to be forgiven for you. And then you will be judged in this world and in the world to come. When you curse the Holy Ghost, what are you doing? Let's look at this, okay? This is the Trinity, First and foremost, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Okay, so if there's three persons of the Trinity, why is the third person a dove? <clears throat> That's a dove. Is that a person? Is a dove a person? No. Okay, so all these people that are like, take apart the Trinity, that sort of thing. Wow, you didn't even complete, finish out the understanding of the rest of the Trinity. That's a dove. That's not a person. Per means in the agency of, by the way. Per means in the agency of. That's what it means. Son is fanatically, as we're doing here, son of man. Son is fanatically identical to what? Son. S-U-N, which is what? Light. What is the son of man? It's Christ. And what is he? The light. What is divine? What is light archaically defined as? Divine truth. All of these things completely, completely in alignment. Okay? So, in other words... The past, the present, and the future is in agency of the sun. Because guess what? That's what the, the sun is, literally, the timekeeper. It's the thing that determines the days. So there's that. The past, the present, and the future. This is what the, this is what the Trinity represents. Okay? Now, in this is, comes from Frank C. Higgins, The Beginning of Masonry. A pretty good book. Um, basically, this is what he's talking. He's talking about the Trinity here, as it's understood in, in Hinduism here um he's mentioning the square the square alone is the symbol of the of creative wisdom the plumb of the upright stature of the living man and level recumbent posture of death closely assimilating the three uh stations with the original symbolism of brahma the creator vishnu the preserver father the creator jesus the preserver of what are our, our eternal and immortal lives he is that was that is always present with us in the now and shiva Sometimes understood as the destroyer, the past, or what? The transformer. Sheba is, so this, when we look at the Holy Ghost, is a gift from God that transforms your spirit. That's what it is. Look at how the dove is is even represented. This was all pictures um, that we took when Jennifer and I were in, you know, we visited probably a a dozen cathedrals or something like that when we were in Europe and that sort of thing and then there was a bunch with the holy ghost there right and what does that represent the holy ghost is like on high and it's about you know about to come down and and you know this is the gift of the holy ghost right this is gift a gift straight from god to you in order to transform this is a transformative principle Why is the Holy Ghost considered the past or the death? Because that's what we seek. In order to be reborn, you first must die. You must die to your old self, your animalistic self, your atavistic self, your retarded self, your immortal self, your unethical self, your ignorant self. You have to die to those things. That's a gift. That death is a gift. That's what transforms you into the total spiritual body. So why is it okay when they say, oh, wrong one here, when they say, You know, uh, it's okay if you speak, if you, you know, you'll, it isn't to say okay, but you will be forgiven if you sit there and curse yourself, okay? Because God understands your predicament. God understands. You curse the very gift that God gives you, though, that's supposed to transform your body into a spiritual body that gives you eternal life. He is not going to forgive that. and you'll be back here, Okay? This is what the Trinity is all about. Okay. Next couple are pretty pretty simple, right? Uh, Twelve thirty-three. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Pretty simple. I don't really need to expand on that or like you know deconstruct that. You're what what you know the fruit that you you're, you're either delicious fruit that you're gonna hand out to everybody or you're gonna be handing out damaged goods. Which way are you gonna go? Twelve thirty four. generation of vipers, how can ye be evil? Speak. How can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of their heart, of the heart the mouth speaketh. The abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Okay, and he's saying. You're a generation of vipers. Everything you speak out into this world is demonic. Bad fruit. Don't eat that shit. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart. The treasure of the heart. Why is the heart, you know, what, where is a treasure usually? Where do you put a treasure? You put it in a treasure chest, don't you, right? This is the symbolism. What is, what is the chest? What is the chest right here? What's in the center of your chest? It's your heart. And what does that represent? As we know, what does it represent? That represents what? The Lord. The Lord within. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. The treasure. You've got an evil heart and you're going to bring forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment okay every word every action too. right every word what is this once again it's a representation that god is watching everything god sees everything god knows exactly what's in your head god knows all the evil thoughts you've ever had or the dumb shit you've done that sort of thing he's watching your your progress here on, on your path towards him and he sees everything and you will have to account for literally everything okay this is understood as the um in theosophy anyway it's called the akashic records it's just a different way this is why i find all of this so funny like when you get into comparative mythology and stuff like that and then you look at like oh this is what the egyptians thought and then this is what these people thought and then this is what these people thought and this is what these people thought and it's the exact same like essentially explanation but they have different words and then you bring those different words like eastern words to christians and they lose their minds there's no akashic records in my bible shut up what are you talking about no god is recording, understanding, watching Everything you're doing. What is the Akashic Records? In the religion of Theosophy and the philosophical school called whatever. The Akashic Records, the Akashic Records are, this is essentially it, are a compendium of, of all the universal events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to have occurred in the past, present, or future. The past, present, or future. You mean the Trinity? in terms of all entities life forms and not just humans. Basically, God is watching everything, recording everything, and writing it down in a big old book and you're going to have to answer for it. That's this this is the this is what he's teaching, Christ is teaching judgment, okay? This is Rabbi Simeon. So that's theosophy. This is right from the New Testament and this is what some old Jew said, some rabbi said, all man's acts are written down in a book and scrutinized by the holy kings and stand revealed before him. Therefore let man take grave concern neither to sin nor in any way to go against the will of his master. For every man's thoughts are known to God and do not elude him. I think it doesn't matter how we want to wrap it up or what language we want to use. That's true. Okay? That's true. And this is exactly what Christ is saying. Every word, idle word, that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. All right. And we talked about last week, the life review, okay? What, you know, what we perceive or what I perceive what happens when you cross the gates of death, okay? For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned, 1237, 1238. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. If you were the actual, right? If you were the actual God in the flesh and this sort of thing, we would see a sign, Right. Well, it was just said before that Isaiah said, "You won't hear his voice in the streets. Where are you going to hear it? In here? That's where you hear the word." Then a certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, "Master, we would see a sign from thee. We need a sign." Okay. Well, when we understand what a sign is, right? In in when we look into the Bible and even go into like Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, and it talks about how they, that God created this this terrarium or whatever, right? And put a, a great light and a lesser light and he made the stars for signs and that sort of thing. Signs is a representation. It's a reference to what? Constellations. Constellations. So, they're saying, "Master, we need a, we need to see a sign from thee." And what was his retort? What's his reply? Twelve thirty nine. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. What is the sign that they're looking for? Aries, the lamb, the ram. This is what the whole thing is about. It's about move, it's about basically moving this light up and up through the system into the into the top of the head, into the Aries, to the lamb, the ram. Okay. So there, he's saying you're you're seeking after a sign, but you're you're not going to get that sign. That you're not going to see that light travel up in here and have that moment to, that where you know the rebirth that happens in Golgotha, which is the skull, which we'll get into that later on. So you're not going to see that. Why? Because you're scumbags. Because you're hypocrites. Because you're an evil generation of fucking vipers. That's why you're not. So they're like, "Where's we seek after a sign? No sign is going to be given to you. None. Because you're wicked." Who will see the sign? The people that are enlightened, that follow the will of God and the way of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Master, we would see a sign from thee. You ain't getting a sign. And he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. And there shall be no sign. He's basically saying, you're evil and adulterous, and you're seeking after a sign, you're not going to be given it. But the sign of prophet Jonas, okay? Well, who's Jonas? (laughs) Jonah... Obviously, a reference to uh, what's towards the end of the Old Testament there, Jonah and the whale. Okay, now who's who's Jonah? You know, this is once again, oh man. It's just un- it's truly unfortunate that a lot of Christians don't know this stuff because their their Bible is upstairs. It really is. So Jonah is uh, in the whale. It's and the whale is the beast of Cetus. That's a constellation. It's a big whale. It's a big it's a big sea beast, is what it's understood as okay so Jonah was in that whale okay so you're the only sign you're gonna see is uh number one one that's not even on the zodiac man the whale is not on the zodiac man okay Aries is what's so you can see right there there's Cetus what's right north of Cetus is Pisces what's right next to Pisces Aries this guy here that that's what's right by Pisces. So Jesus is saying, you'll see you're, you're. You'll see the sign of the prophet Jonas and the big whale in the sky. But you're not going to see the light of man, the son of man the, that rises and it gets into the top and is reborn through Golgotha. You're not going to see that because you're wicked. But you will see the sign of Jonas. The reason they're, and I'll show you this, this gets into all the constellations. You won't even be able to make sense of the next six lines unless you point out stuff in the sky. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Earth and heart are anagrams for one another, right? Ultimately, it's like, what are we here to do on earth? Find the love that's in your heart. What is that love? Christ, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, Cetus, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, of course, there's we've talked about this many times. In fact, if you want a complete overview of this, go to the Easter uh, service that we did. Obviously, we have this notion of the sun in our sky. Once again, S O N S U N light, all this sort of stuff. This is this is metaphoric, right? So we see that that sun is in in its natural path, in how God has ordained that cosmological, you know, that path. Um, it's three, day, it's that three days. It's that's three days: December twenty second, twenty third, twenty fourth, and twenty fifth. All of a sudden, we got the birth of Christ. So it's in one sense a reference to that. But it's also, of course, because we're talking about up there, we have to talk about what's going on in here, which means that that's going on in here. So it's in the heart of the earth, in the heart of what? The earthen vessel, that is you. And the three days is a rep- It's not just the three days. It's not just a representation of the sun and the winter solstice and things like that. This is one of these cosmological con- constants in this sort of sense. What does the three days represent? Christ. Christ. Lord Jesus Christ in English gematria equals 72. How many, how many hours in three days? 72. There's 4,320 minutes in three days. Multiply Jesus, which that right there, that name of Jesus, absolutely encodes what's right in front of you. You remember when that guy in Italy, we saw that and he's like this? That? That. That's, and we've talked about that before. We won't get to that right now. Jesus, four times five times six times six times six is what? 4,320. How many minutes in three days? 4,320. Five letters of Jesus. Jesus equals 27. Six letters of Christ. Christ equals 32. In English, comatria. Five times 27 times six times 32 is 25,920. How many seconds in three days? 259,200. It's the same numbers whenever you just a side note we've talked about this many times before but just to reiterate the point whenever you um look at numerology right and you actually have zeros that are added there what that is is just a um it's an increase of order in this sort of sense or of uh it's just a multiplication of 10 it's just a a, a scale right a, a variation of scale that's all really what you're looking at when you add zeros right in numerology and kabbalah that sort of stuff your base number is what becomes important there so So there you have five letters of Jesus, Jesus equals 27, six letters of Christ, Christ equals 32, five times 27, six times 32 is 25,920. 72, 4,320, 259,200, all of those numbers of the three days in which represents what? Spiritual rebirth are all encoded in the name Lord Jesus Christ. Then we say, oh, we go out into the Christian world and be like, what's his name? Yahuashi. No, it's not. No. Respect your language. Respect the language that you use to to describe this world and that your holy book is written in. Okay? So that's your 3 days math. Okay. So there is so there is 3 days in the heart of the earth, right? Um, now it says this: the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. So basically, now we're, he's saying it's like, oh, you got the sign of Jonas and that you're not going to receive the sign of Aries. You're not going to see. You're not going to see Christ. You're not going to see that Christ in here. And now there's constant. There's Jonas and then there's Aries. And now we're going to see there's a bunch of constellations surrounding that whole area that are going to rise up in condemning this wicked, wicked generation. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with the generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. There's a there's there's something better than that big-ass whale that's in the sky. There's a lamb. There's a lamb up there. The men of Nineveh shall rise against this generation. What does Nineveh mean? Nineveh, It's the, the etymology is actually very um, elusive, if you will. It's not totally nailed down, set in stone. But this is what we can extract from Nineveh. It's unclear, but perhaps Nina's place, which is a place of fish. A fish's place. It's a place of a fish. Nina is a fish within a house. And it has been suggested that the name of the city was derived from that of the goddess associated with a fish. So it's a house of fish, fish house. It's a house of a fish. What's right next to Ares? What's right next to Cetus? There's Jonas in the whale. That's all you're going to see. You're not going to see the Lamb of God. Then, right next to Ares, the house of the fish is going to rise up and condemn that generation. This is astrological. Let's move on. The queen of the south, then, shall also rise up in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So basically like, you know, this is another reference to the Old Testament. I'm not going to go into this. There's like the queen of Sheba and stuff like that. But when you look at the queen of the south, right? When you look at, once again, we're already the house of fish. and We got Cetus the whale. And we got Aries and all this sort of stuff. And then you say, okay, well, what's, where, where, is there a queen up in the sky? Yes, of course. Everybody, you know, if you've followed along in this channel, you know that that's Cassiopeia. It's the queen of the south. What's literally in this sense, south of Aries, Pisces, and Cetus? Cassiopeia? So, let's see. So, you're not going to receive Aries. Pisces is going to rise up against you. Nineveh. And then the Queen of the South, Cassiopeia, is going to rise up against this generation because you're so disgusting. When And then it's... Oh, God. This is just so good. Okay. this is This is just freaking fantastic. Okay. So then it says this, 1243, when the unclean spirit, an unclean spirit is a demon, right? In this sort of sense, it's a a demonic force, is gone out of man. So now, so let's, uh, this is a parable. So now we've got this demon, it's gone out of man, and he walketh through dry places. Let's stop there and then we'll deconstruct the rest of it. So we just dealt with the fact that we're dealing with this whole area of the sky. Cetus, Pisces, Aries, Cassiopeia, that sort of stuff, okay? This area of the sky up there, do you know what it's it's called And when you when you study like constellations and cosmology and planospheres and stuff like that? It's called a watery place. It's literally considered in legend and lore that sort of thing, a watery place. Well, why? Well, duh, just look at the constellations there. You've got Aradnus, which is a river, you've got Cetus, which is a big ass whale, you've got Pisces, which is two fish, and then right by there is Aquarius. So this this whole area that's like it's considered in this sort of sense, you know, once again mythologically or symbolically a watery place so now all of those are going to rise up in judgment against this right and then the devil's going to go out the devil's going to go out and be like all right i'm out of here right and where's it going to go it says it's going to which please christians give me any explanation as to what this means ever you can't because you're rejecting everything that's in your you're rejecting the heavens is what you're doing When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. We were just in this area of the Queen of the South. Then it leaves that area, and where does it go? It walks through dry places. What's just south of that whole area? In this sense, it's what would be considered what we consider the desert place. What's in there? Uh, Camelopardus, Lynx, Leo Minor, Leo Major, and a beehive. Okay. Well, what is all this? Camelopardalis means it's, it's a giraffe, but it also, it comes from the words camel and leopard. Right next to it is a lynx. Right below that is a lion, Leo major, Leo minor, and of course you've got bees. Do you know what exists in, you know, five, six hundred species of bees? In deserts. Do you know where lions roam? Of course, lions roam into lots of places, but one of the places are deserts. Where do you find lynxes? Lynx or whatever, right? Deserts, dry places. Where do you find a giraffe? Dry places, where do you find camels? Dry places, where do you find a leopard? Dry places, this is the desert place. And it is literally right south of everywhere that the story's talking about, okay? This is your dry places. So when the, so there's your lynx, your camel, your leopard, etc., etc. So then, so then it says, the unclean spirit went out of that whole area that we were just in, and then it went, gone out, and then he walketh through dry places. Constellational seeking rest. He's seeking rest. This demon that left you is seeking rest. What? Why are they using the term rest? Because where does the Lord rest? Here. So instead, you've got Christ Almighty here, right? This is where you want Christ. This is where you want to understand that Sabbath. So the devil goes out, and he wants to come back and rest right where Christ is. He wants to take that seat. That's what's going on. So when the unclean spirit has gone out of man, he walketh through the dry places by the lynx and the camelopardalis and the couple lions, seeking rest, seeking a place that he can, he can uh, possess a soul, possess a human being, and findeth none. Twelve forty-four. Then he saith, "I will think." This is, this is fantastic. Then he saith, "I will return into my house from whence I came out." And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. What are they saying here? Let's step back and let's deconstruct this. The devil goes out. He comes back. I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come back, what does he find? He findeth it empty swept and garnished. What does garnish means? It means decorate. It means decorate. So here you have a human being. The devil's gone out of him. When the devil leaves, what does the human being do? Starts cleaning house. Sweeps up all the corners like, God, you made a mess. oh God, it's disgusting in here. It smells like dead fish, right? you clean cleaning all this out. You gar- you decorate the place. You, you make it look nice. That's what you do. As soon as the devil goes out, you start to clean house. The devil comes back, and what is he? He's so pissed off. That you dared to clean up after his shit show. What does he do? He gets him and seven more of his dudes to come fuck up the place. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Then go with it. Which, by the way, what are they, what, what's the message here that's trying to be elucidated in the Bible? These people are unbelievably Wicked. They leave. You start actually doing good in the world. And they come back. Oh, my God. We must destroy. We must, I'm going to bring seven more of my guys. And we're going to enter into that temple. And we're just going to. That's what's going on. This is what they're saying. And he goeth and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Exponentiating that maliciousness and that, you know, that vile nature. And they enter in and they dwell there. They live there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. <laughs> Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. It's fantastic. While he talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brother, this is Jesus, 1246. While he talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brother, and stood out, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold... Thy mother and thy brother, my, my my thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee, Jesus. You got your brother and your mother over here, being like, oh, "I want to speak to you, Jesus." And what does he answer? But he answered and said unto them, that told him, "Who is my mother, and who are my brethren?" I ask you. This is very Zen, by the way. You know, he's like, "Who who are who are my family? Who are my community?" And he stretched forth, he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Why is he saying this? He's like, actual mother and brother show up. He's like, yeah, I know that they're my brother. But everybody is part of my family. Why? Because Jesus is teaching us about the Sabbath. And then it doesn't matter what a bunch of Jews think about the Sabbath and Saturday and things like that. He's talking about the eternal spark, the light, the divine source that resides within you. When you recognize that as the Jews did not, did not when you recognize that what do you recognize it's my family that's that divine spark that's within you it's it's within me it's within that person it's in that person you're my brother you're my you're my sister you're my mother you're my you know your family this is this is the spiritual family this is the spiritual church of christ this is why as gnostics we get so and this is i wrote Part of this in the tenets of the order. Why well, I get so upset about the fact that you'll have Catholics won't pray with Orthodox, and Orthodox won't pray with none, and you're going to go and rip on this church and stuff like this, and you're all supposed to be in alignment with Christ. Okay, fine, you might have disagreements on scriptural analysis or what you think this here and there and there. That's fine, but at the end of the day, you are supposed to look past all those divisions and recognize what? That eternal spark with that resides within each person. This is what he's saying. I see it. Of course, he sees everything, but you know you know what I'm saying. But he answered and said to them that, that told him, Why, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand, and his disciples said, Behold, my mother, my brethren. Then he ends with this. Okay. And this will actually link this. The math that we're going to do here and everything we're going to point out here is going to lead directly into the next chapter where all of this will be showed to us again. All, all this math, everything that we're discussing here, will be showed and actually listed in the in the chapters. Okay? So everything I'm going to show you here, next week we will revisit it because it's right in the verse. This is how the chapter ends. 1250. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. If you are on the course towards Christ Almighty, if you are in alignment with God and truth and the way, Right? You, were are all family. We're, you are my brother, the same sister, my brother, my, everybody. We're, we're going to recognize that there is something beyond those divisions, okay? So, now, I'm just going to show you this gematria because, like I said, this is going to lead directly into next next week, okay? For last, chap, or last verse here. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. This equals 361 in English gematria. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, this, the same is my brother and sister and mother. This equals 361. What is 361? We found 361 before, actually when we did uh, Matthew 7.14. We covered this whole thing. Because straight as the gate and narrow was the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. What is Matthew 7.14 equal? 361. 361 is 19 squared, by the way. Nineteen squared, just so everybody knows. Nineteen times nineteen is three hundred sixty-one. What does three hundred sixty-one reference in the alphanumeric system of the Greeks? It references the monad. The monad, this is what it is. So there's there's the gematria values down there, if you want to check that, mu omicron, nu. <laughs> Alpha, sigma, sure. got, to, got to brush up on my Greek there. 40, 70, 50, 1, 200 equals 361. The symbol for uh, oneness, the symbol for basically, just as we're saying this, when we talk about oneness in this sort of sense, you, the Lord, this spark is connected directly to God. Okay, that's the thing. This symbol for this connection was understood as the ancient geometricians to be the monad, a circle with a dot in the center of it. Okay, this is created with the compass. That's it. Okay, and the alphanumeric correspondences of the Greeks, as you can see, the letter of the word monad added up to three hundred and sixty-one. What is the symbol of the monad? The monad is an elementary individual substance that reflects the order of the world, in which material properties are derived. Derived. It's not saying that there's like little monads with dots in there, and there's a bunch of them, and they all create. That's not what it's saying. This is a meta, This is metaphysics. Okay, so it's an elementary individual substance that reflects the order of the world. This the Lord that is the Son of man that exists within the center of you does what reflects the order of the world now what do we study all the time the zodiac man what does the zodiac man represent that hu- the human beings itself are what a reflection of the of the grander order that's the that's the you know the 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 main takeaway if you will from the zodiac man and this is what the monad is it reflects the order of the world now. What is the monad? The monad represents what? Lord God. It's exactly what it is. The singular point of consciousness that was that's within, the singularity and the totality, and how those are ultimately one. When you go out and, out and out and out and out and get to the point of where God, where we can't even fathom it and that sort of thing, ultimately everything from out there to down here is unified under his total jurisdiction and rule and his authority. There's nothing outside of God in this sort of sense. The Monad is a symbol that's created with the with the compasses that creates that basic understanding. The Monad is the God above, the Lord within. You can really look at that two different ways. It doesn't matter. This is you know symbolism, but it what does the Monad represent? Supreme Being, yes. Totality, yes. Wholeness, divinity, and what? It's a symbol for the Sun. Well, what are we talking about here? The light, the Sun of man that exists within you, the eternal divine spark that's within you, and that's the Sun of man now i just want to show you this this is so this is th- so once again 361 that's your monad 361 that's matthew seven fourteen. and then this chapter ends with what 361 for whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven the same is my brother and sister and mother 361 this is what we'll see next week okay this is actually i think from mark i want to say but they cover the same parable in the next chapter in Matthew. And others, uh, this, this is basically the, 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 the seed that fell on the good ground, right? This is the parable, the parable of the sower. Uh, another fell on the good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, and some 60, and some 100. Okay, we'll just look at that. So 30, 3 plus 0 was 3. 60, 6 plus 0 was 6. And 100 is 1 plus 0 plus 0 was 1. This is 3, 6, 1. Okay? Three, six, one. It adds up to 190. 30 plus 60 plus 100 equals 190. What's that? It's your vigesimal system. It's 19. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. You add those together, it equals 190, which is exactly what you're given in this this parable of the sower, which we'll visit next week. What's 19? Zero through 19, that's your vigesimal system. That's your hands. In your toes that's what it is it's a base 20 system 0 through 19. you triangulate 19 just as we did with the tractus just as we did with the number seven and what do you have 190 what's 19 squared it's 361 and that's exactly exactly what the parable of the sower is trying to point you to you where's the good ground Where's the seed placed? Within you. This is Kabbalah. Ten emanations of God. Bloop! Exactly what we've been talking about this whole thing, this whole chapter. Stretch forth thine hand. Made it whole. There's your Jewish representation of the Kabbalistic tree of life. This is the Jewish representation of this. And what do you have? You can even see they're absolutely separated. you got three on the top, which are above his head. It's three. You've got six around his body, which is six around one, three, six, and then what is he standing on at the very bottom? One. Okay. So, 361, 361, 361, and 361, and 361. All doing what? pointing to what? Where God rests in the center of you. Which is what this whole chapter is all about. <laughs> okay. Now I just want to end with this, okay? So this was the last verse, 50, 1250, and this is just the con- this is just the vowels in the verse, okay? So we just took out the consonants, here's the vowels in the verse. And this equals 105. So if everybody see that, I'll show you the first one here. You can do all the math yourself. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven the same as my brother and my sister, etc. You take the consonants away and it equals 105. Do you know what 105 is? you know what 105 is? This is how this verse ends. This chapter ends. It's your hand. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 plus 8 plus 9 plus 10 plus 11 plus 12 plus 13 plus 14 equals 100 and five, so Stretch forth thine hand, and make the other one, and make it whole as the other. So the vowels tell you about your hand, your hands, and <coughs> the, oops, sorry, and the consonants or the, just the verse tells you about your hands. So. Vowels 105, and that tells you about what? Your hand. And if you stretch forth the hand and make it whole like the other, then you can use those hands and you can act as like, you you can act as like wings, and you can fly up to heaven. And because you guys, you can bite. And that's what it's all about. Okay, thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoyed today. Uh, it might be a little long, but uh, we covered a lot of stuff, so I think it's really good. And then next week is going to be really good. They start getting into some uh, heady, um, uh, more astrology, which in a few few chapters they really haven't. So. Um, good stuff though. So we'll definitely do chapter 13 next Sunday and I'll hopefully see you guys on Tuesday. If you'd like to help out and support the work that we, we do here, we really appreciate it. Like I said, we've got, um, it looks like we're, we're scheduled to release three books this year. That's really what it, we're looking at. Tenants of the Order, um, uh, the children's book which I'm not going to say anything about until it's absolutely out. And then um, and then the last one will be The Twelve Disciples of the Zodiac, I think is what we're going to do. Probably about a 120-page book on that. So uh, if you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at star. You can become a phoenix bird, an Aquila bird, a cygnus bird. You can become a and a Pete. My frickin' bird. I'm sorry I have not uh, thanked all the people that did uh, have donated. I will do that on Tuesday. I've got a whole list of people that I want to thank. Like I said, we got some letters we're going to open and that sort of thing. Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, subscribe, star. If you want to send any donations or just a letter or anything like that, it's N2550, Southview Court, Monroe, Wisconsin, 53566. Uh, just to let you guys know, uh, this week I'm, I'm, I'm slated to speak to Brandon, the big sib, and we're going to talk about uh, law, legalities, the Bible, and and that sort of stuff. We're going to hopefully get into that, so I'm supposed to hear from him today. And then Jennifer is working on her next emotional intelligence lecture. We will do Tuesdays with Marty this Tuesday, as long as my freaking internet works. I don't know. Um, if not, we'll definitely have some more content for you. So, um, all right, that's going to do it. Guys... Uh, Service uh, the sermons are all available on the Flat Earth Sun Moon and Zodiac app. It's a great app. Go ahead and get it. Um, a lot of the flat Earth stuff is completely censored to the T. This will give you a direct in you know direct links to all the videos that are being censored and that you can see and actually learn about our flat stationary plane. Uh, August 18th through 21st, Kuyama Valley, The Gathering. We're going to be doing The Gathering, Music and Sky. I'm going to be speaking with Bear Lando and Kelly Brogan and Il- Ilene McCusick and Alex Zach and Melissa Zell, a bunch of doctors, and then Marty. Like the Friar Tuck of Christianity, I'm not. I don't. Anyway, um, we're not sure um, if we're going to be able to go to Flattoberfest this year. We're hoping that we can do it. Um, I was, I am slated to speak, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not because, like I said, I don't know, you know, what our schedule is going to be. But if you get a chance and you can make it to Flattoberfest, highly recommend going. Even if we're not going to be there, you should just get your ass there and go because it's a fantastic group of people and Karen B puts on a righteous event and it's always, it's always fun. So. All right, guys, um, church store, just so if you guys want, there's rosary, Bible packages, there's books, um, all sorts of stuff, music, uh, all that sort of stuff. Okay, that's going to do it. We're going to listen to a song, uh, my song, and it's called Ashland to Ashes and Marty to Dust, and it's a cheesy pop rock song, so I'm sorry, but uh, we're going to listen to that on the way out, and that's going to do it. So guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and yes, that's his name. Unto eternal life, may his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, that's going to do it, guys. I will see you on the flip side. Thank you all for joining me this Sunday. And um, that's going to do it. All right, I'll see you on the flip side. God bless each and every one of you. As always, many blessings and much love to all.